0: Well good morning everybody, my name is Luke, I'm one of the pastors here and uh, part of our preaching team. And I'm really glad that you're here with us. Uh, For those of you online, uh, we're glad that you're here with us as well and hope this is an encouragement to you. Um, I just, before we dive into the passage, I want to let you know I've been kind of hosting a series of conversations that have been on YouTube called Inside Redemption. And in it, I uh, interview different people who are part of Redemption Church. You know, we're one congregation that's part of 10 congregations in the Redemption Church family. And so I've been doing a series of conversations and uh, in a couple weeks, we're going to have our first live event event for Inside Redemption, Inside Redemption Live. We hope to do this a couple times a year where we bring people together from all the different congregations and we stream it uh, on YouTube and so that people who can't be in the room can still be part of it. And we're going to have our first one February 23rd. And here's the theme is the gospel and race, the gospel and race. That's always easy to talk about, isn't it? And and yet we're going to try to do it. You know, across Redemption, there's 10 congregations, lots of diversity. And so we're going to have a series of conversations around what we believe about these issues and about how that should lead us to live in proximity and in love toward one another. So some people have wondered or had concerns, hey, what does redemption believe about this? Uh, Those will get answered. Some have said, you know what, I'm not worried about what redemption believes. I just want to know, are we going to do something? We're going to talk about that as well. Some of you are just hearing it and going, oh no, we're going to talk about this? That's going to be uncomfortable. And it is going to be uncomfortable. But the loving thing to do is to try to provide clarity in a world that's totally confused and even in church where it can be confusing. So that's what we're going to try to do. Um, You can get information about that on our website. We'll be emailing information about that as well. If you don't get our regular emails, make sure you fill out the connection card and put your email address if you'd like to begin to get those. So uh, that's what we're going to do. But in the middle of this passage today, we actually uh, get this phrase, which maybe even relates to that event. Here's, Here's what we read in the middle of the passage. It says, so there was a division among the people over blank. This word division is the Greek word schisma, schisma. It has the idea of a tearing or a rending or a cracking apart. It's where you get the idea of a church schism throughout church history when churches have split. It's been called a schism. And it says here there was a division among the people over blank. Can any of you, by the way, I I don't know if any of you can think of this. Can any of you think of anything in our world today that people might divide over? I mean, this is impossible to even, but like just rack our brains for a moment. Oh yeah, maybe race, maybe politics, maybe masks, maybe vaccines, but we don't even need important stuff to divide over it. Like we divide over Coke and Pepsi, right? There are some of you, and you're maybe like me, right? You go to a restaurant and they say, hey, what do you want to drink? And if you say had like a Diet Coke, they say, oh, well, we have Pepsi products. You'd say, well, I'd like the water product because I'm not interested in your Pepsi. No thank you, right? There's lots of ways we divide. Some of you are like DC Comics people. (laughs) Some of you are Marvel people, right? And... This is a big deal, right? There's just endless sorts of ways that we can divide sports rivalries, uh, musical, right? Some of you are like, no, I like classic rock. And some of you are like, no, I like country. And some of you are like, country's not music, right? And you just kind of, we divide over anything. A few years ago, this was the big division that was going around the internet. Perhaps you saw this, was the dress. So let me ask you just to look at this dress. What color is the dress? All right, how many of you, let's, let's participate. How many of you, show of hands, join, join us online. How many, how many of you, this dress is white and gold? Look around. It's a lot of hands. How many of you, this dress is black and blue? What? Right? Did you hear it in the room? Like, like this is the way it works. Is like, when you, if, it, if you see black and blue, and, and other people say, no, it's white and gold, which it is white and gold. Um, LAUGHTER You're like, you're like, what is, what is wrong with these people? Like, how, how do you not see it? And isn't it, isn't it interesting? That's kind of how all areas of division are, aren't they? How do you not see it? How do you, how do you not see it my way? How do you not do it the way I do it? There was a division among the people, it says in verse 43. What was the division over? There was a division among the people over him, over him, over Jesus. Jesus is the thing that division is about. People begin to disagree who is Jesus and what is he about and what would it mean to follow him. And let me tell you this today, that Jesus is one of the few things worth dividing over. So many of these other things, they're not worth it. So many of these other things, they're not first-tier issues. We should, we should learn to love one another in the midst of it. This issue' a first-tier issue. Who is Jesus? And what will you do as it relates to Jesus? That, that's a key question that at some point, anyone who's exposed to the person of Jesus needs to ask, "Who is this man?" Who do I think he is? If, if you're just new with us, if you're just kind of catching up and uh, maybe this is your first time with us, or your first time in a while, uh, we've been going through the gospel of John and the gospel of John, uh, John was a disciple of Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. He spent lots of time with Jesus and he writes a bunch of stories about things Jesus did and things Jesus said, get this, he's an eyewitness of those things. It wasn't a long game of telephone and eventually he heard about it. He saw these things and he writes them down and he says, the reason I'm writing this is because I want you to trust this man. I believe there's no one like him, John says. I want you to trust him. And so just looking back over the last few chapters, in chapter 5, John wrote about this man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years, hopeless, helpless, and Jesus speaks a word, rise, take up your mat and walk, and he does. Then in John chapter 6, Jesus is there with thousands of people, 10, 12,000 people, and they're hungry because he's had a long day of teaching and there's not really much food. And he takes what little food there is and he multiplies it and he feeds the multitude with leftovers. All as a picture of him saying, you know what? The real source of bread, the real sort of source of nourishment and flavor and, and life is actually me. Then in chapter 7, which we're looking at the end of chapter seven. Throughout this, he'd gone up to Jerusalem. There was this big religious festival happening called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And throughout it, he's been teaching about who he is. And the things he's claiming, get this, the things he's claiming are amazingly big. Look at what he claims. He says in verse 16, my teaching is not mine, but God's. I'm not making this up, he says. I'm teaching God's words to you. That's a big claim. Another claim. God sent me and you don't know him. He says in verse 28. That's a pretty remarkable claim. He's at a religious feast at the temple with all the religious people. He says, you don't even know him. He says in the next verse, I know God and come from God. It says in verse 29. Uh, he says, I know him for I come from him and he sent me. This is really interesting. When it says there that he came, that Jesus came from God, it's as though it's saying he came out of God. It's not that he was just sent by God, but that he came from God. This is God in a bod. This is God in the flesh. He says in verse 33, I'm going back to God. So even you're going to kill me, but that isn't going to be the end of my story because I'm going to rise and I'm going to go back to God. He says in verse 38, I'm the source of living water that always satisfies. Listen, who could claim to be the source of satisfaction for every person everywhere? Only God, right? right? If, if, if someone came to you and they said, I'm the source of life and satisfaction for you and for everyone else on earth, you'd look at them like they're stinking crazy. And yeah, that's what Jesus is claiming. And so the question for the people listening to Jesus and the question for us today is, how will we respond? There was a division among the people over Jesus. And what we're gonna see in this passage are three different responses that are actually pretty similar to our responses today. So let's pray, and then we'll look at these responses. Father, we ask you now to open the eyes of our hearts. We ask you to help us to see Jesus and to love him. We pray in his name. Amen. In verse 24 of John chapter 7, Jesus had said this, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. He said there's a temptation that we're all going to have to judge by appearances instead of to judge based on what's actually true. And that's really kind of what this first category does, is the first response to Jesus is to arrogantly evaluate Jesus. Arrogantly evaluating Jesus. Jesus. That's what's kind of happening in this first part of the story. Uh, The people have heard the words it says in verse 40, and some of them said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. Some said, but wait, is is the Christ to come from Galilee? Hasn't the scripture said the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Right? There, there's all this discussion. There had been a a prediction in Deuteronomy 18 that there would be a prophet like Moses that would come. Some are saying, Oh, maybe that's him. There was also a prediction of a Messiah, an anointed one, a, a David-like figure who would, who would reign and rule over the people of Israel. And so we're like, oh, maybe that's him. And, oh, wait, 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 but that can't be him. Because, look, he's not from Bethlehem. See that in verse 42? Now, what's interesting, this passage is filled with lots of irony. That, that John knows you as the reader understand some things that these people don't understand. And one of those things is that we, the readers, John assumes, know where Jesus was born. John wrote after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in those books, there's lots of conversation about the birth of Jesus. We hear about it at Christmas. Even if you're not really a church person, you've perhaps heard that that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That was the city of David. That was the place where the Messiah was to come from, as predicted in the Old Testament book of Micah. And so Jesus was born there, but he grew up north in an area called Galilee and so these people they don't actually even know where Jesus is from but they are arrogantly evaluating him as though they know the whole story they're evaluating Jesus they're putting him under the microscope they're saying "Eh, I don't know if he quite measures up they weren't listening to Jesus when he was talking because if they heard what Jesus was saying he was saying not only am I not just the prophet not only am I not just the Christ I'm God himself But it's like they're like me sometimes with Molly where I'm kind of, you know, scrolling my phone and she's telling me something important. I'm like, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she's like, "Uh, what did I just say? And when I'm smart, I don't guess. When I'm smart, I go, honey, I don't know. What did you say? And she tells me over again, right? That's kind of what they're doing. They're not really listening. They're not really paying attention. And yet they have all the answers. And yet even their answers are wrong. Actually, what you see is their answers are actually a little bit kind of prejudiced on the basis of where they're from. See, all these people are down in Jerusalem. Jesus was from up north in an area called Galilee. And so when they're like, he's from Galilee? It's a little bit of this way of saying like, it's like the, the elites in major you know, coastal cities going, oh, that's just flyover country. Right? What they're saying is they're like, he went to U of A. There's no way he could be the Messiah. Like, clearly. It's it's that kind of like tribal loyalty rivalry kind of thing. That's what's going on. They're writing him off, not on the basis of actual truth, but on the basis of kind of what they want to be true. Do you do that? You, you, You actually aren't sure you even want to follow Jesus, so you can figure out a way to explain him away. You go, well, he's a pretty good teacher, and he had some nice wisdom, but he's just too extreme. Or you look at other things in the Bible that maybe are hard to understand. You go, you know what, I, I, maybe I could believe in Jesus, but I could just never believe that there was a worldwide flood. I mean, are you kidding me? And so you imagine that you know everything there could be to know about a worldwide flood. And so you write off Jesus because of that. Some of you, you go, you know what, I, I, I want Jesus when I need him. But I, I, don't, I don't want him to run my life. You know what you're saying, by the way. You're saying, I'd like to marry him for his money. I'd like to have his stuff. And because of these predisposed reasons, we arrogantly evaluate Jesus. Well, that's one response. A second response we see with the Pharisees is angrily rejecting Jesus angrily rejecting Jesus. This is the response of the Pharisees. The Pharisees was that religious group of leaders who were kind of thought of themselves as a cut above everybody else. And it says in verse 44, some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. And it's not because they hadn't tried because back in verse 32, it said the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. So while Jesus was talking, they had sent out a group of their kind of temple security team to go arrest Jesus. And yet at this point, nobody has done that. The officers come back and tell the Pharisees, hey, we didn't do it. And the Pharisees are angry because they're not just even willing to say nice things about Jesus. They just hate him. They don't want anything to do with him. They angrily reject him. Notice the anger and the contempt and the mocking in, in their responses in this passage. In verse 45, why did you not bring him? Verse 47, have you also been deceived? Verse 52, when Nicodemus says, hey, maybe we should actually slow down and pump the brakes. They say, are you from Galilee too? The counselor that I meet with about every six weeks will sometimes ask me when I tell him about certain angry feelings I had, or he'll say, "Uh, Luke, you know, when you have... A dollar reaction to a 10 cent problem you have to ask where's the other 90 cents coming from do you ever have a dollar problem or dollar reaction to a 10 cent problem or a 50 cent problem or even a 70 cent problem where's the other Where's the other stuff coming from? Well, a lot of times it comes. We get angry because our power and our control and our sense that I have the answers, that gets threatened. And when that gets threatened, we, act, we react in ways that we can't always understand. But that's what's going on here. Jesus is threatening their power and control. They're getting afraid and they're getting angry. By the way, just to pause, that is the goal of cable news as it tries to disciple you. Whatever you're listening to, the goal is let's make them angry and afraid, angry and afraid, angry and afraid. And if you sit under that discipleship night after night, week after week, year after year after year, guess what you're going to be? Angry and afraid. Because you're going to see there's all these things that, that are bad that I don't have power over, I don't have control over, I can't do anything, and all I can do is sit here and be angry and afraid. Well, they're angry and afraid because Jesus is threatening their power. We know that because back in verse 31, right before they send out the people to arrest him, it says that all these people started believing in Jesus. They started saying, well, gosh, I can't imagine a, a, a Messiah doing more than this guy's doing. And it says the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And that's when they send the crowd out. Because why? Because their power is threatened. Their control is threatened. Their leadership is threatened. There's a new guy in town that's drawing people away from them, and they're afraid. Now listen, when I say that the Pharisees were the ultra-religious people who were in power, many of you are like, whew, I'm not like them. Yeah, here's what I want to tell you. There's a little Pharisee inside every one of us. Because even if you're not a religious person, you like to be in control of your life. You don't want anyone else telling you what to do. And so maybe you have a a more angry rejection of Jesus that actually isn't that rational. Maybe you tell yourself it's because of all these intellectual reasons, but actually maybe it's more visceral. Maybe it's just you saying, you know what? I know that if I started to follow Jesus, I would have to forgive that person. I don't want to do that. Maybe you say, I I know that if I was going to follow Jesus, I'd start to have to live generously. And I don't know. I I like my security. I like my comfort. I like my stuff. I don't know if I want to do that. Some of you might say, you know what? If I I begin to follow Jesus, I'm going to have to live with sexual purity. I don't want to do that. I'm still young. Maybe someday I'll settle down, but I don't want to do that. Some of you, it's just more practical. You're like, if I'm going to really follow Jesus, I'm going to have to get up on Sundays. And you know what? I've kind of gotten used to brunch and coffee and the paper and the game. And and we think we're neutral and objective, but we're not. Jesus said as much earlier in this chapter, in all the teaching that led up to this. He said this in verse, uh, verse 17. He said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Here's what Jesus was saying. If you want to do what God wants, you'll recognize that my teaching's from God. But if you don't actually want to do what God wants, you'll never hear it. It'll never make sense. It'll never click. What's so interesting about the folks that, that arrogantly evaluate Jesus and angrily Reject Jesus, in both cases in this story, it's with like partial, not great information. They think, oh, I've got it all figured out. I know the Galilee, Bethlehem thing, but they're wrong. We're going to see even more how wrong they are. What's a better way? Well, there's a better way modeled in a couple examples here in this passage, and that is attentively listening to Jesus. That's a better way. Don't arrogantly evaluate him. Don't angrily reject him. Attentively listen to him. There's two examples of this. One is the officers. The other is Nicodemus. The first is the officers. They're mentioned in verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said, why didn't you bring them? These were the guys that had been sent out to arrest. Now, here's what we got to understand. These temple officers, these were not just like nightclub bouncers, right? This wasn't like dumb muscle, these were, these were actually theologically trained people. They probably got into the kind of religious academy that was part of the temple system and temple structure. And they happened to maybe come from a background where they had some fighting training or they were just more muscle or whatever. But these are smart guys. These are guys like we've got a, a guy and we've got lots of guys like this at our church. There's a guy that is part of our church that helps lead our, our men's stuff named Vic Perez. And Vic is a Gilbert police officer and he actually has a seminary degree and he does all that he does as a police officer to try to bring the love of Jesus into a situation. It's one of the things, by the way, that I love about how many law enforcement officers are part of our church and and knowing like with all the pressure and all the challenge that they're the ones that are going to be the brightest light in that whole thing. I mean, I just love that. And 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 these guys, they're not necessarily like looking to follow Jesus, but they're, they're smart guys. They know the scripture. And so they get around Jesus, they get close enough to him, they can't arrest him because there's too many people and there's much pressure, but they start listening to Jesus. And you know that because when they say, why did you not arrest him? Verse 46, the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. In the Greek, it literally says, no human being, no human ever spoke as he does. Hmm, another irony. Because he's, yes, he's human, but he's not just human. He's God in the flesh. No one ever spoke like this. It's, it's interesting. This is also a kind of unintentional dig at the Pharisees. Think about this. Right, you're, you're talking to the people who, who do a lot of speaking. No one ever spoke like him, right? It's like in Matthew 7 when the crowd hears Jesus and they're like, he spoke with authority, not like the scribes and Pharisees, right? This would be like if if after the service sometime you came up and you were like, oh man, I love, I, I think Seth is the best preacher I've ever heard. And I would go, man, he's a really good preacher. I, I, I don't know if I agree, but, but he's the best I've ever heard. Part of what you're saying is, and you're not, Luke, right? So I think this has to make them like doubly angry, like, No one ever, uh, right? Their own guys who've come to them for training actually get around Jesus, actually listen to him and start to go, wow, there's nobody like this. One commentator said, it is dangerous to linger around the Lord Jesus. Will you linger around Jesus? Will you open yourself to him? If that's why you're here today, I'm so glad. Linger, listen, lean in what Nicodemus does as well. After uh, the Pharisees hear this response in verse 47, they say, have you been deceived too? This is what they say to the officers. Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? And then listen to the drama of verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Nicodemus, John says, had gone to them before. This was in John chapter three. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Pharisees. He was like on the leadership team of the Pharisees. And he has questions about Jesus. And so he goes to Jesus and he asks Jesus and he spends time with Jesus in John three. This is where Jesus tells him, you'll never enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again, unless you're made new. And Nicodemus doesn't quite get it, but he's interested and he's been leaning in and he's been listening. And maybe he's not yet to a point of faith just yet. But he says, uh, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? What is Nicodemus saying? He's saying maybe we should listen to Jesus before we get mad at him. Nicodemus knows your anger with Jesus is not because you've actually listened to Jesus. Maybe you've listened to Jesus' people. But you never listen to him. What if you listen to him? Give him a hearing. Learn what he does. That's what Nicodemus did in John 3. That's what Nicodemus recommends here. And then when we get to the third and final place Nicodemus is mentioned, it'll be in John 19 when Nicodemus is a believer in Jesus and he's preparing Jesus' body for burial. Attentive listening to Jesus. That's what he's inviting us to. Because the thing is, if you listen to Jesus, if you see what he does, you just might have the reaction that these folks have. There's nobody like him. And yes, it's going to be costly. And yes, I don't even know what this road might lead to. But he's worth it, and so I'll go. Are you open to Jesus? He might just be more than you think. And in one little final bit of irony, you see that Jesus is more than they think. Look at verse 52. After Nicodemus says, hey, what if we just slowed down and listened to him? They just insult him. Are you from Galilee too? Oh, you went to U of A too? (laughs) Figures. And here's what they say. Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They go, not only does the Christ not arise from Galilee, no prophet even arises from Galilee. That's the religious leaders determined to silence Jesus. And yet, is it true that no prophet arose from Galilee? You may not know this, but as you study the scriptures, what you find is that they were absolutely wrong. There were two prophets that had risen from Galilee Jonah and Hosea. And there's a beautiful, delicious irony in verse 52. John says, search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. That word arises, almost every other place John uses it, is talking about the resurrection and that Jesus would arise from the dead. And do you know that the only two prophets from Galilee were also the two prophets best known for talking about rising? Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And just like Jonah, Jesus rose from the dead. And Hosea, who had a prophecy that God would raise his people on the third day. (sighs) See, there's more to Jesus than you think. He's not just a good teacher. He's the one who died for sins. He's the one who was buried. He's the one who was raised. He's the one who ascended. He's the one who's coming back and he's going to make all things new. Will you trust him? Will you look to him? Will you listen to him? Will you find your life in him? That's what he's inviting you to today. Find your life in me. Find your hope in me. Find your joy in me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the risen son of God. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that there's no one like him. And God, oh, how we, how we long to actually believe that in our hearts like we know it in our heads. Father, I pray for those who are still trying to sort it all out today. And I pray that you would give them help by your spirit, that you'd help them to see who Christ is. And God, I pray that you would help all of us to find our life in him. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.